Welcome to Around the Table. We resume this discussion of topics from the recent Apologetics Conference by considering the beauty of the gospel, which overcomes the difficult questions and apparent contradictions we sometimes face. Jeff, you alluded earlier to how you use the Lazarus story in, in your talk. Would you be willing to just give us a, a brief overview on some of the points that you pulled out from that story um, that would help us understand what sometimes seems impossible to understand about why bad things happen in with a good God? Yeah, so I, I like the Lazarus story just because I think we see all aspects of this. We see God having a bigger, grander plan. And in fact, Jesus tells his disciples that when they're delaying to, uh, going to Bethany, you know, Mary and Martha have called and said, you know, Lazarus is sick, the one you love is sick, and Jesus delays, and then eventually Lazarus dies, and it's only at that point that Jesus says, okay, let's go to Bethany. And and um, he tells his disciples, Lazarus has died, and he says, and I'm glad, which is, you know, that's not the way you and I think about people dying, is I'm glad, well, maybe there would be a person or two, but that's probably not a very godly thought. Um, we don't generally say it like that, but I think what Jesus is saying is this is an opportunity for you to see the greater good that God is working in this world. And you can see the power that I have being God incarnate. So, um, so what do we do when, when God doesn't show up or when he shows up at the wrong time, which is exactly what happens in the Lazarus story is that he showed up at the wrong time. They had been asking him to come and they knew he could heal and he didn't, he didn't come. And in fact, I, I actually say it in the conference even stronger than that. Jesus didn't, it wasn't just that he didn't come. He refused to heal Lazarus. You, you don't have to read very far into the Bible to realize that God, Jesus, could have healed Lazarus from anywhere in the world. He healed at distances before. It was a Jairus' daughter he healed at a distance. I mean, there were, there were other examples of this where, where Jesus healed from a distance. He didn't need to even go. He just needed to speak a word. So it wasn't that he was late. It was that he refused. And he refused for a very specific reason, which is that there's a, there is a greater good that I want you to see in this. And, and, I, and so one of the things I said is, even when we don't understand why God allows certain things to happen or doesn't take action when certain things happen, there is still a greater good. And that greater good is happening, even if you don't understand it. I think one of the things that we get wrong as Christians is that we think we need to know why God do, does the things he does. And and people who love apologetics fall into this camp maybe more than anybody else. We think we need to have a good answer for why God does the things he does. I'm not convinced of that. First of all, I'm, I'm, I, have, I would say I have an average IQ. Um, I'm pretty sure that my average IQ can't wrap my mind around the things that God thinks. Um, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. So, me trying to explain why God chooses the things he chooses is, a, is an impossible task. I think more what I have learned through living out my own story in this life is that God will work things ultimately to his good. That there will, that there is a reason, even if we don't understand, we may never understand it, but that in the end, it must be better this way. And, and that is what, that is what faith looks like. So even when Jesus arrives at Bethany and 
Mary and Martha come out and they're a little bit accusatory, which probably is a very dangerous thing to do with God is to start accusing them of stuff. Um, even though they're a little accusatory, Jesus is not upset with them. Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell at them. He hears their questions. He responds by pointing them to this, this bigger picture. Don't you know that I am the resurrection and the life? And, and, you know, he keeps pointing them back to these big ideas that he came to earth to show people. And I think he will do the same things in our, our lives, although obviously not perhaps in the person of Jesus. But at the end of the story, Jesus does bring Lazarus back from the dead. And I think that tells us something about God's goodness as well. And, and, and the way I summarize it is this. There is a point where God will say, I've had enough. I've had enough. This, I, this evil is not going to last forever. There comes a point when I will restore the earth. I will restore justice. I will restore um, this, this perfect um, idea that I had from the beginning for my creation. I will make wrong things right, and I will make sickness go away, and there will be no more tears. And, there, and all of these things that the Bible promises us, there will come a point. And I think the story of Lazarus, again, in a very small encapsulated sense, shows us that. That, yes, there, there is, Jesus will weep with us, he will enter our suffering with us, but he will also at some point put his foot down and say, I have had enough and I am done with this, and I'm going to make all things new again. Yeah, and I'll just offer for our listeners that, um, and I'll just offer this as a teaser to go back and listen to Jeff's talk and and listen to When God Shouts. Uh, when you made that comment about When God Shouts, it, it literally about pinned me back in my, in my bench because it was such a, a striking point that I thought that you made. Joe, Jeff actually offered a perfect segue into one of the things I wanted to ask you. When we when we talk about not being able to understand God's purposes, and perhaps we're not intended to entirely, but you made a point that I wrote down that um, you said we should always we should always interpret what is cloudy in light of what is clear. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, I think that's just a, a healthy. Uh, tool to use uh, when interpreting scripture or interpreting reality or interpreting the world is we interpret what we don't understand in light of what we do. And I think some of the most important things that we do know about God are seen in the person of Jesus. You know, as you look at the Old Testament, for example, admittedly, there are instances, Jeff mentioned a few of them, where you sort of read that Old Testament account where God commanded this or did this, and you say, wow, is that, is that really the God that I, that I know? And then you look at Jesus, for example, and you say, I can't, if Jesus is God, I can't imagine him declaring some of the things that the God of the Old Testament uh, commanded. So what do you do with that? Do you have a contradiction? And I, th- I think what, what Luke established is so important that because Jesus is God, we have to look at those Old Testament accounts in light of what we know about Jesus, because the scriptures are clear, um, Colossians and Hebrews and so forth, that Jesus is the exact full and clearest expression of God. And so we always interpret what happened in the Old Testament in light of what we know to be true about Jesus. And I think that's an, an important uh, tool always to use in scripture, always interpret what is cloudy 
in light of what is clear. Um, and so that's, that's the point I was making there. Um, and I think it helps, helps. And, and again, I, I think it's important to know that what you don't have, is you don't have a contradiction. You have simply a difference in the level of clarity. So as you look at the Old Testament, it is a little bit cloudy. Sometimes the Bible calls it almost like a shadow. And what you have in, in Christ is the glorious uh, radiance of God's person is, is super clear. And so when there seems to be contradiction between Jesus in the New Testament and some things that happen in the Old Testament, again, let's go with Jesus. It's just a matter of clarity, a difference in clarity, not a matter of, of contradiction. Yeah, I, I love that. And if you go back and look at our conference agenda, you know, Luke's topic, which he spoke about earlier, is Jesus God, was followed by is God three in one? How do we think about the Trinity, which is for the most mature Christian? I mean, Paul himself called that a mystery. Uh, the, this, this Trinity, it's not something that we can fully understand. And to follow that up with Joe's topic, which was why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Why does it matter that he's three in one? And to take these these big questions that are hard to answer and hard to get our heads around, even to the extent that we can answer them. And, and Joe, for you to point us to, it's in the person of Jesus that we see the fullest representation of God. That's where we're going to see the clearest expression. I just found, I found moving and, um, and comforting. You, you also talked, Joe, about, I'll tee it up with this. You talked about how the gospel must be both true and desirable. As a, as a reason for this Jesus first approach to apologetics, as you called it, you, you want to comment on that a little further and Jeff and Luke, feel free to jump into if you have additional thoughts, but go ahead, Joe. Yeah. You know, I think the, um, the reality is, and, and Jeff sort of touched on this, that we do not believe things oftentimes simply at a cerebral or cognitive level. There are experiential, there are emotional aspects to believing the things that we believe. And so if we are going to call people to believe the gospel, we can't simply speak to their their minds, to their cerebral cognitive side. We have to speak beyond that. And, and so we, we don't commend the gospel simply because it's true. We have to commend the gospel because it's beautiful. And the point here is that there really is no more beautiful face of Christianity than Jesus himself. His love, his compassion, his mercy, his concern for the outcast, the foreigner, the widow. He's an, an intensely beautiful character. And so it just, again, pushes us back to this Jesus first approach where if we're going to show that the gospel is both true and beautiful, the best thing we can do is show them the most beautiful person in the world, in the world history, and that is Jesus Christ. So, so again, I, I think I think one of the things that I that I heard from Jeff and I heard from Luke with Luke's approach is, in, in Jeff's case, admitting that Christians deal with these issues just like unbelievers. Is God good? You know, Luke making the case that there are detractors who are asking good questions about the divinity of Christ. Quite frankly, Christians ask those same questions. And so the point is, let's not run from those questions. Let's develop the right way to look at those questions. And again, as I suggest at the conference and even here, looking through Jesus at all these questions is, is really the best, best approach. And uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's the way to go. To kind of build on that. I think the goal of the apologetics 
committee or the apologetics part of ETR is to equip people to do exactly that. Not, not just, again, like I said, build this Rolodex of index cards in your mind, but be so convinced yourself of the beauty of the gospel, to be, but to be so firmly grounded in your faith that even when the difficult times come, we can echo the words, though he slay me, I will follow. I mean, he, we, he just not just that, but that we can then point people in a very authentic way, in a very personal way, back to this beautiful Savior, back to Jesus. And I'm that's what that's that's why I stay on this committee. I mean, part of the reason I stay on this committee is to hang out with Joe, but um, it's it's also to it's also to try to help people do that very thing. Luke, I guess he's not here to hang out with us. <laughs> um, okay, well, okay, you too a little bit. <laughs> so. That's beautiful. And I think the older I get, and Lord willing, I have many more years ahead of me, but the older I get, the more I appreciate just resting in the relationship with Jesus. I I definitely, you know, I I think perhaps you brothers could say the same, but when I think back over the timeline of my interest in apologetics, for much of my life, it has just been a, a very deep desire to have answers and to be able to explain what I believe. And that's all good. But, but the older I get, the more I'm just like, you know what, it's like what you're saying, Joe, it's, it's the relationship with Jesus. That's, that's where I'm resting. That being said, though, Luke, I'm going to turn to you and kind of put you on the spot here in a little bit. You don't, <laughs> you don't know that this question is coming, not that any of you knew exactly what questions were coming. But Luke, you're, you're an academic, right? I mean, you're, that's, that's what you do. And so can you just talk to us a little bit about, okay, so the relationship with Jesus and is is important and we've talked about stories but can can you give us a little bit of give us a few thoughts as to why we should be interested in the academic answers i mean there is value in that too yeah i think one one benefit of the academic answers is to show that the the goodness of christ the the truth of scripture is true all the way down to the details you you can go in every direction you can get as fine-tuned, as superficial, as whatever, but that the the truth will prove true. And so we don't need to be afraid to study. Uh, We don't need to be afraid to have conversations because we know truth is universal and it'll always prove true. It's good for us to remember, too, that when, when that's our aim, we can be comfortable with wrestling with the truth. We can be comfortable with not having all of the answers. And we even made the comment at this conference that, you know, as we get deep into some of these difficult questions that we recognize that many of us have and do struggle with ourselves, there's going to be times that these topics feel a little bit uncomfortable. And and that's okay. And the purpose of coming together to talk about these things as believers is to be to be honest about our questions and, and to sharpen one another in the pursuit of truth. Uh, one, I think I want to I want to uh, build on something that Luke was saying there. I, I think one of the reasons why we need um, academics, I'm I'm hesitating to call them nerds, because I I do think that uh, some people look at the apologetics conference as something that's a little nerdy. Well, Jeff, we um, know you're nerdy, so you'd be in a good position to comment on this. Yeah, I I am one. Yeah, um, but one of the reasons why I think we need people in those scholarly arguments 
is because there are so many loud voices who call themselves scholars on the other side. And there, there needs to be a scholarly um, debate. There, there needs to be give and take. This is the point of the academy, right? The academics, the academy. This is the point of the academy is that we all have a voice and we, we put our arguments out against one another. And there is a real place for that. And there are also a lot of people who struggle with that. And so I feel like one of the things and I, I keep trying to convince people, maybe they should come to the next year's conference. But, but one of the reasons that I would encourage people to come is because there is some academic stuff there. There is some pretty heady esoteric stuff at times. But for the most part, we are really trying to show good, practical, day-in, day-out kind of approaches to, to these big questions that you can use with yourself when you start to doubt, or you can talk to your neighbor about, or your brother or sister. One of the things that Fred Witzig, and we've, you know, we focus on, our t- on, on the three-year talks here, but Fred actually wrapped up the conference with the topic, This is Why We Worship. And one of the statements he made, and if this isn't an exact quote, it's close, to worship God, you must see no God for what he is, or I might add, for what he reveals himself to be. And Fred just made the comment that the last part of that sentence, who God is, that's the purpose of apologetics. And he went on to say that the more we know him, the more we want to worship. So it just, it brings this all full circle again from, yeah, the academic answers, the desire to to be able to figure those out to the extent that we can, but it all brings us back to, you know, what Joe, what you talked about this Jesus first, this relationship, the, the act of worship, which we know is, is eternal. It's not, it it doesn't have an end once we're in that relationship with him. Yeah. You know, the way I like to think about it, Scott is when it comes to apologetics or giving answers, the thing I, I tell myself is that apologetics and giving good answers is necessary, but it's never sufficient. There's a relationship that has to be established. There is that emotional side, that experiential side that Jeff talked about. We we are not rational supercomputers. And so the the apologetics answers we give, again, they're necessary, but they're not sufficient. And the the wonderful thing and where I I rest, um, rest most peacefully is recognizing that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus. And he uses answers. He uses apologetics. He uses being a good witness, being a good example. He uses all of those things. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one drawing people. That gives me such comfort um, to think about that. And um, I, I think, Scott, you made the point towards the end of the conference, thinking about this Jesus first. I think you mentioned um, oftentimes um, in your interaction with those from the Islamic background, um, it is the character of Jesus that draws them. They've got lots of questions about the Trinity, but rather than arguing about the Trinity, point them to Jesus. And once they fall in love with Jesus, how beautiful he is, and the Holy Spirit begins to shape their minds and their hearts, suddenly they begin to see the Trinity as rational. So it just start with that relationship and build out to the good answers. It's a holistic sort of embodied apologetic, not just cerebral. And so I, I would encourage all those listening, if they can attend to attend, it's really a great event. And Joe, when you say point them to Jesus, I would argue the best way to point them to Jesus is to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Absolutely. And, and, well said. And I, and I, and I love, I love this topic because, and I, 
each of the last two conferences, I've said this, just because I think it's so important. It's easy to walk away from a conference like this, from a podcast like this, from a great book we've read, and feel overwhelmed when we can't recite all the things that we heard. And, and I love to just put people at ease and say, you don't have to know all the answers. It's enough to know that the answers exist. And even if you are the world's worst at reciting the great academic answers, if you can just show the love of Jesus to people, if they see that in you, that is the greatest apologetic. But more, more than any of the, I, I don't know anybody that's ever been converted by a textbook answer. I think they play a role, but I don't think it's what converts people. It's the love of Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Jeff, and as we bring this thing closer to a close here, there's another point you made that I think is a good place for us to just draw this discussion to an end. You Going back to your point about using stories, and you talked about your love for fiction, and you talked about the confusion that would result if somebody opens up a book in the middle of it and just reads two pages and puts it down. And you had some really practical advice based on that example for people. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, that's a horrible way to read books. So if you're one of those people who picks up a fiction book and you get into the middle of it and you flip to the end to read the ending, shame on you. What are, what are you doing? That's not the way books are read. Please stop doing that. You're ruining it for yourself. Anyway, that's uh, enough of that. Um, but yeah, so one of the reasons why I encourage people to read the, the stories, not just the stories of the Bible. I think you should absolutely read the stories of the Bible. Read the story of Joseph. Read the story of Moses. Read the story of the apostles, the early church. Read the stories of the Bible, but also read the stories of church history and Christian history and the stories of the martyrs. Read the stories, the modern stories that maybe are found more in like blogs, podcasts, those types of things. Read the stories. I think what you'll find is that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is kind of a predictable nature of stories that there's a beginning and then the middle gets really dicey and there's a lot of conflict in there and there's a lot of issues kind of flying around. And, and then it resolves to the end. But if we only ever see the middle, we are going to really question the author. I, I guess that was kind of the big point. And so you would never do that. You would never pick up a mystery novel off the shelf to flip it to the middle and read about the murder or whatever is the that is the story is trying to resolve, and then close it and put it back on the shelf. You're you're kind of missing out. But I think when we get into questions like is God good or, or questions of that nature, we're all kind of stuck in the middle of our own story because we didn't have much to do at the beginning and we are not yet to the end, and so we don't see how this thing is going to work out. <clears throat> we don't see that through our illness that perhaps someday, many years down the road, someone will read of our testimony of faith or a great grandchild will be told the story of, we don't get to see those things or we don't get to see maybe even a less clear outcome of how God is working in this world. Maybe one of the nurses at the hospital's heart was touched or her doctor was touched or something like, we just don't get to see it. But if you read enough stories by a single author, you tend to develop a relationship with that author where um, 
you know, let's, let's take a, I don't know who's a popular, but let's take Agatha Christie, you know, the, uh, uh, somebody who writes mystery novels. If you read, I think Agatha Christie wrote like a hundred novels. So if you read 10 of them, you'll get this idea that at the end there is a resolution. And I think you can do the same thing with the stories of God. I think if you read the stories of the Bible in their entirety and you see beginning, middle, middle and end, or you read the stories of the saints, the martyrs, and you see these great religious movements that came out of great sacrifice in very difficult, desperate times. When you see the beginning and the middle and the end, you start to trust the author. You develop a relationship with the author. And I think that's where we are in our journey with God is that when you read the stories of God, you'll start to begin to develop a relationship of trust with the author, meaning God himself. So when you find yourself in the middle of a dark moment in the middle of your story, I just encourage you keep reading, not just reading your own story, but keep reading the stories of all the other people who have been at all these other dark moments in the middle of their lives. So I just think that idea of keep reading and there's, there's more to come. This is not the end. This is the messy middle. Um, The ending is glorious and God will show himself in the end. Keep reading. It's not just the story of other Christians, you know, it's ultimately, it's ultimately God's story. And, you know, Jeff, you made the comment, I think you said even earlier in this podcast, when God does not seem good, he's always working for a higher good. It's good for us to remember, we're only seeing our little part of the story. And it's part of the, it's a part of the greater story. And now we see it through a glass darkly, but then face to face, or as we, and we know that great story you guys have heard me quote this before, but as C.S. Lewis says, that great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Thanks for listening. Around the Table is available on AC Central and now also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Casts. It is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.